Judges and Prices often play leapfrog. One jumps up, then the other, which means a steady rise in our cost of living. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto podcast, a CastBox original show. I'm Matthew House Barbie, and yet again, I'm joined by my co-host, Austin Knight. <laughs> hey, Matt. Hello to everyone listening. It's great to be here again. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful to have you alongside me, Austin. So <laughs> in today's episode, we're actually going to take a slight break from some of the special guest interviews that we've been recording recently. You'll have noticed if you follow the podcast, we've been bringing in a bunch of awesome guests. But me and Austin wanted to kind of kick it back a little bit to what we were doing in series one of the podcast, where we did a little bit of a deep dive into one topic and also run through some of the latest happenings that have been going on in the blockchain space. Yeah, and especially considering that we've been getting a bunch of questions over email and Twitter related to this stuff, we wanted to make sure that we just kind of took a step back and spent some time actually going through these topics that keep coming up so often. Yeah, exactly. And just as a note here, we are going to be playing around with this format a little bit. So as a listener, if you have any feedback, make sure you drop us an email or you can even tweet us with how you think this has gone and suggestions for how it might be improved to us. We're always willing to listen. Yeah. And as a reminder, if you want to email us, you can reach us at podcast at thecoinoffering.com. Yeah, and if you haven't already, you can follow us and tweet us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at thecoinoffering. So hit us up on Twitter. You can tweet us at any time. Usually pretty responsive. Failing that, you can drop us an email and we'll always come back to you. Yeah, let us know what you want to hear about. If there's any topics that you would like us to cover, anything that you think we're doing really well, we want this show to continue to be built by you all, our community. And if there's anyone in the industry that you think is doing something interesting, has a cool story that they could share, let us know about it and we can bring them on as a guest. We're always looking for cool people to speak to. We certainly are. And before we get stuck into our main discussion today, it's probably worth us chatting a little bit about some of the recent news and ongoings, as I mentioned, we were going to in the space that's kind of happened in particular in the past few weeks. Yeah, there's been a lot of news, uh, particularly coming out of both Venezuela and China in relation to crypto right now. Yeah, the, the, these two countries kind of seem to be at completely polar opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of their openness to cryptocurrency. And I, I, I personally don't know if it's good news for either of them at this stage. No, yeah. Uh, on the one hand, we have an announcement from China that they are completely banning all cryptocurrency and blockchain events. And this comes around a year after they banned cryptocurrency exchanges. And then on mm -hmm. the other hand, you have Nicolas Maduro, the current president of Venezuela, who is doing seemingly everything possible to get people buying and using his so-called oil-backed cryptocurrency. Completely legit cryptocurrency, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> Just like everything else there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but on a, on, a, on a serious note, though, I I know we've, we've talked about this a bunch off mic, Austin, and like, I, I really do feel for the Venezuelan people right now. The country seems to 
pretty much being chaos. And we're going to go into some of the reasons why this is. But just before we dig into that a little bit more, let's let's start by having a brief discussion around China. So there's been a number of news reports that are saying that China has banned all crypto events, specifically in Beijing. And from a government notice that was shared on Twitter, we'll, we'll share out the, the link to the tweet in the show notes of this episode. It stated, this is this has been translated, but um, they're saying that they are preventing the risk of money laundering and they're doing it to protect the property rights of the public. And I think one of the things that is definitely concerning here is they're also banning any cryptocurrency-related WeChat account. So if you haven't used WeChat before, WeChat is, if you use WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, WeChat is the number one messaging platform for most of Asia, to be honest. And they're attempting to shut down cryptocurrency media outlets. So it doesn't sound overly optimistic for the future yeah well i I, certainly i think that censorship and control are a core theme of xi jinping and the chinese communist party's mo and Mm -hmm. that blockchain and cryptocurrency certainly presents a threat to that so and on the one hand, I don't see this as like a, a particularly surprising move, albeit uh, something that's that's terrifying to the open exchange of funds that uh, is at the center of this technology. Yeah, and I, and I will also point out, we've made this point before, that it's also really difficult to understand the validity of a lot of reports that are coming out of whether it's China or just generally in the blockchain space. I think we talked about this a bit in the the last episode. There are so many ulterior motives. The the thing that I would say, though, right, in China, the lion's share, we talked about this at the end of series one, the lion's share of all of the mining power behind the Bitcoin network is housed largely within China. And one massive company that holds the lion's share of Bitcoin cash is Bitmain. And they have a huge amount of power. I I don't know if you saw the recent stories, Austin, about Bitmain going after an IPO. And I actually, last night this was, I was in bed checking Twitter and saw that there's just basically been an explosion of news around their IPO where they'd listed people as investors, which was all false. Uh, they'd made somewhere in the losses in Q2 of 2018 of 600 to 700 million. They're projected to lose, make losses even more. Now, they've been making substantial revenue, but I also think that with a lot of the bear market that's been happening, the huge dips in crypto pricing, a lot of their IPO valuation was based around their assets that they hold in Bitcoin Cash, which is kind of crazy to me. Right? Yeah, that is uh, that is nuts. Yeah, so I mean, like it, that really puts another huge question mark around China and cryptocurrency and the power that they're holding. And it does seem that, like you say, Xi Jinping and the rest of the government there don't necessarily seem to be very open to the movement in general. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if their ultimate goal is to treat this technology and, for that matter, introduce this technology to China in a similar way 
that they did with the internet and the not so open web, at least in mm. uh, their context. Because I get the feeling that the Chinese administration sees value in blockchain and cryptocurrency tech in the same way that they saw value in the web, but they see a threat in the openness of it and the lack of control that they would be able to exercise over that. So I, I would be interested to see if this is a step that they're taking toward like their own version of a reform and, and cleanup <laughs> in air quotes uh, so that they could <laughs> roll it out to, to China in the way that they they did the internet, which is basically their own way with their own rules and total control over that exchange of information or exchange of currency in this case. Yeah, it seems like that is certainly the fear for a lot of people. Uh, control, you mentioned there, being very much the operative word in a lot of discussion around China and and actually not just China, but a uh, uh, a lot of even to a certain extent actually for some of the countries that have been really some of the pioneers behind the blockchain movement even the likes of korea have really tried to put in a lot more let's say control over in particular the cryptocurrency exchanges mm -hmm. uh, to a certain extent the us as well uh, i think like you look at new york and the kind of extra legislation that they've put on even being able to be set up with an exchange and the Bitcoin license that's there. So I don't think that this is necessarily completely isolated to just China. Um, I think that every country wants their slice of the pie, right? Yeah. Uh, I just think that China would rather have the entire pie right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I also think it's worth sort of delineating between regulation for protection of consumers and investors and fair play in the marketplace mm. versus regulation for authoritarian control. And I certainly think that a lot of crazy things are happening in the blockchain space because there is so little regulation. There are basically no ground rules set to play here. Uh, and, and that people can get burned as a result of that. So I, I imagine that some people would be open to the idea of basic regulations or rules to, you know, run an exchange to perform an ICO, but not necessarily total exercise of control over the entire thing, which is kind of the, if you think about it, the antithesis of the decentralized model in the same way that censorship is the antithesis of the open web. 100%. I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more with that statement. And I think those two parts that you talked about is regulation to protect consumers, regulation to ultimately control consumers, right, is two different, very different things, polar ends of the scale, but they seem to get blood into one in the crypto space for a lot of people that certainly have a lot more ideological views around blockchain from what I found. Yeah. And speaking of ideological views, why don't we jump into Venezuela and the situation that's erupting there, which actually seems like the opposite end of the spectrum here and is kind of getting crazier and crazier by the day. Why don't, why don't we run through some of the facts that we know are happening to date and what's what's gone on right now? 
Yeah, so what we know, as in just purely factually speaking, is that Maduro has devalued Venezuela's national fiat currency, the Bolivar, by around 95% by launching a new currency, which is not a cryptocurrency, uh, which will be called the Sovereign Bolivar. The Sovereign Bolivar... Sounds so much more legitimate yeah. with that sovereign behind it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so, but th this is important to the story in that the Sovereign Bolivar will replace the Bolivar and will be tied to the Petro, which is Venezuela's supposedly oil-backed mm. cryptocurrency that Maduro himself created, uh, him and a team of people in his administration. The Petro will be used to actually set the prices for goods, which is going to fluctuate a lot, as is already occurring. They've also set a minimum wage to 1,800 sovereign bolivars, which is roughly a 3,000% increase, but only equates to around 30 USD per month, and that's something that could certainly change by the day, knowing the currency fluctuation patterns that we've seen there in the past. But that yeah. is, on a basic level, uh, factually what we know. Yeah, and there seems to be more and more facts and as well as allegations coming out in the media day by day. And it is actually also worth noting here that the US in particular has banned US citizens from trading the Petro. That's Venezuela's uh, cryptocurrency and, and actually a number of countries have followed suit a lot of people are actually simply calling this a giant scam uh, but I mean what what must it like to be in Venezuela right now you mentioned there the petro being used to set prices for goods you imagine setting the prices for goods on Bitcoin like I can only just imagine the sheer amount of money spent on those little price labels that you'll have to basically update every like three seconds with the the, the big volatility jumps and and uh, dips that are going on I, I can't even fathom it right now yeah I it makes me think of, of a story that my mother-in-law told me about when she was younger living in Brazil my mother-in-law is Brazilian um, about how when their currency was fluctuating and inflation was going up and down and way, way up uh, by the day or perhaps by the hour, uh, you would run to the supermarket and you would have to get in front of the man with the price gun uh, so that you could get the old price before he sort of walked past the goods and changed wow. it. And what a terrifying uh, situation that, you know, that would have been to live in. And uh, personally, uh, as someone who has lived in South America for a couple of years and, and has friends who are either trapped in Venezuela or have made it out and have family members that are, are trapped in Venezuela. It's very sobering, but critical to remember that we're, we're not just talking about a cryptocurrency here. While that is sort of an interesting proxy to this discussion, we're talking about real human lives, people who are not only having their liberty and their livelihood taken from them, but are being directly oppressed and, and starving to death. And this, this currency, all of this discussion about this currency is simply another distraction from an administration that has continued to oppress its people. And so we can, we can get caught up, right, in the minutiae of this technology. But I see 
it very clear that regardless of what happens with this cryptocurrency, which I think the outcome would be fairly predictable for the Venezuelan people and their livelihood, nothing will change until this administration and its ideology is fundamentally purged from that country. And I think that the the process through which that is that has to happen is going to be very painful. So it's it's worth thinking about the the cryptocurrency, especially in, in the context of this show and and the different ways that cryptocurrency can be used. But to think, oh, you know, we could introduce a, a cryptocurrency to a fundamentally flawed economy and government and that it could in some way help them. I think is simply naive. And that's not how, how I would, I, I don't view cryptocurrency as necessarily being something that could solve the world's problems or, or should ever be expected to. Yeah, very, very well put. I, I think that's a very good point here. And to also add to this, right, the, with a lot of new technologies that come in and ultimately do possess capabilities with the right leadership deployment and let's say ethics behind them yeah. uh, which is a, a, a almost an even bigger part than the technology themselves can be used for extreme good and can solve enormous problems but there's also another end of the spectrum and that is they can also be used for very very evil means as well for for lack of a better term and i think this is one of many venezuela as one place in particular occasions where blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies in particular with the petro is being used as a vehicle for mass distraction and also ultimately asserting more control over the people uh, ruining people's livelihoods and i think the disappointing thing here is we're talking about venezuela right now but i i think this could be one of many situations in the future that we start to see erupt off the back of this as a tactic for ultimately a certain control on a on a group of people. Yeah, I think you're right on the money, Matt. Interestingly, Maduro has said that Petro sales have already raised $3.3 billion and that the coin is being used to pay for imports and all of this stuff. And yet people on the ground and even people in Maduro's own administration say that the, the coin is still in development, that, that nobody has received any Petro. They don't even know, under, the people don't understand how it works or, or how they can buy yeah. it or how they can use it. There, there is a lot of smoke and mirrors coming out of uh, this story and for that matter, of course, this government. And I, I think I, I was reading a, a story from Reuters that, that was sort of uh, an in-depth piece about this. And at the end of it, they were talking about a teacher, Rosa Alvarez, who said that around half of her first grade class had stopped showing up to school because they were hungry and the school no longer provided them with state-sponsored meals. And she said that the government wow. officials have ignored her complaints. But uh, in May, the election ministry laid out a new mandate to her that she had to teach the students about the virtues of Venezuela's new cryptocurrency. So sort of this like interesting mm. convergence of like our students are, are literally starving and can't come to school because of that. And then we've got like this cryptocurrency, which is actually built off of like very sort of free and open exchange principles being applied in an authoritarian way. And she said that 
standing there before her students mandated to teach what is now less than half of her class about this uh, cryptocurrency, she didn't know what to do because she doesn't know anything about it herself. Right. And just even the idea, like, if you just read between that, that's like coming up to a, a homeless person in the street and telling them how wonderful money is mm-hmm. and just explaining the virtues of money. Like, the irony behind all of this, I'm sure, is not lost on the Venezuelan people, but also it does hit home quite a scary thought around just indoctrination of younger individuals into trying to ultimately get them bought into a giant facade that is being created yeah absolutely Um, but i think uh we're gonna shift gears a little bit here it's uh i think we're we're all feeling for the venezuelan people and i really do hope that there is a happy ending here but i think for a lot of happy endings at the moment there often has to be a much worse time to to come before that but we'll see how that story develops. Yeah. It's also worth noting that if we have any Venezuelan listeners, which I know that we do, mm. who have thoughts on this situation and would like to speak about it, write us an email, record yourself talking, and we can work it into the show. We, we want to hear from you there on the ground. That would be what brilliant. You, yeah. What you think of crypto in general, but also what you think of crypto in the context of Venezuela, because we know that it is so difficult to get accurate information on both of these topics, both China and Venezuela. So anybody there that's listening that has something to say, say it and we will share it. Absolutely. And in the show notes, what I'll also do is uh, I read a really interesting Reddit thread that someone had posted who was living in Venezuela right now and just sharing some honest facts about their day-to-day and how all of this is affecting them. And it really does hit home the, the exact situation that people are in over there. So we'll share that out in the show notes. And absolutely, if there's any any of our Venezuelan listeners that are tuning in, we would love to hear from you. So drop us an email, tweet us, whatever you can do, that'd be fantastic. So to shift gears a little bit now, we are going to jump into our main feature section where we're going to talk a little bit about a question that has probably come up the most since we've started doing the podcast from listeners and people within the community that have spoken to us. And we touched a little bit about this in series one, but I think it's now nice for us to go back in and explore this a little bit more about how cryptocurrencies gain and lose value. This is a bit of a complex topic to really go into, but what I thought we'd start by doing is giving a very brief recap, actually, of one of the things we talked about in Series 1, the third episode of Series 1. I would recommend, if you're interested in this topic, which if you're at all interested in cryptocurrencies and blockchain, I'm sure this is a, a real problem area that you're trying to get your head around go dive into episode three and listen to it fully through but austin why don't you just kind of run through briefly some of the different factors that that actually have been recognized to form and make up a currency not just a cryptocurrency but this is what monetary theorists have came up with the the different factors that make up a currency of any form Yes. So the general consensus is that five principles 
are required in order to make something a currency. Uh, those are fungibility, scarcity, durability, transferability, and divisibility. Fungibility, we'll start with that, is the ability to exchange one unit of a currency for another. So direct exchange, and in order for this to happen, they have to be completely identical in value. Scarcity simply states that there should be a limited supply of whatever the currency is. Uh, so this would both be the case for gold because there is a finite amount of gold in the world, but also the case for Bitcoin because by the time that all Bitcoins are released, there will be a finite number of those. Yeah, so that's 21 million, right? Correct. And I think that was by the year 2140, I think we'll, we'll have all of those. So exact amount of scarcity that you have with Bitcoin. Yeah. This is also why you see currencies sometimes being backed up by scarce resources. Durability, the third principle, it simply states that the currency must stand the test of time and weather. So with cryptocurrency, as long as the network survives, the currency itself survives. So it's actually very durable. Transferability states that one unit must be able to be transferred to another owner. This is a fundamental aspect of any currency. Crypto actually makes this easier than ever. And then finally, divisibility states that the currency should be divisible into smaller fractions. So you can break it down. Gold can be broken down into smaller pieces. Dollars have cents or even fractions of a cent if you're transacting electronically. And Bitcoin has Satoshis, which are up to eight decimal points of a Bitcoin. Yeah, and I think we called this out in one of our other episodes as well, that with the divisibility of Bitcoin in particular, it can actually be, with a simple change in the code, could be divided up to 10, 16, 25 decimal places if you want. It's, it's very easy to make that more divisible. And I think that the key takeaway here is that, and when you compare this in particular to fiat currencies, let's take the British pound sterling, the US dollar, the euro, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, the cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, for example, take a lot of these boxes more effectively than most fiat currencies do. So when when we get past this stage of, okay, cryptocurrencies ultimately are a, are a currency and they operate in a very similar way, albeit they're not government-backed like a fiat currency, so they can't be impacted by things like quantitative easing where more money is printed and can impact the price heavily. For example, in Venezuela, what we're talking about with the Bolivar just all of a sudden being replaced with the sovereign Bolivar, and then the currency loses 95% of its value as a result. Like, it's very different in that respect. But one of the biggest things I would say, all that to one side, the cryptocurrency prices, and one of the reasons why we they've been incredibly volatile, in particular over say the past 18 to 24 months, right? Is that they're heavily influenced by speculation. This is not completely isolated to cryptocurrencies though. When big news breaks, you've got price will often sway one way or another. So I think we talked a bit about this in one of our interviews that we had Austin, I think just before one of them where a couple of weeks ago, the SEC rejected proposals for, I think it was like nine different 
Bitcoin ETF, so the exchange traded fund. I think I explained a bit about what an exchange traded fund was in that episode, and the price of most major cryptos actually dropped by around thirty percent. Yeah, it's it's purely people being worried, selling their cryptocurrency in anticipation of what might happen in the future, and it causes a knock-on effect. This isn't the first news story that we've had, right? Oh, not at all. In September of 2017, when China banned ICOs, a very similar thing happened. We saw a major drop due to speculation of the fallout that would be caused from that ban. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is going to continue to happen. Similarly, on the the other way around, uh, as Bitcoin's price started to rise upon people getting quite excited around some of the gains it had made, especially in 2017. And we're talking when it kind of probably breached the the 5K mark, I think, in terms of USD value. All of a sudden, there was a ton more news. Bitcoin reaching all-time highs. Like, everyone's like, invest now in Bitcoin and more people are buying. And when more people purchase there creates a huge amount more demand and that creates a rise in price. And then with that comes more speculation. And with that comes even greater amounts of demand for the cryptocurrency. People are willing to buy at higher prices, not to lose out on ultimately a scarce amount of Bitcoin. So this has a knock-on effect both in a mass sell-off and a mass buy-up of these currencies. And it's worth mentioning here, me and Austin are not monetary theorists, neither are we financial advisors, but this is the the fundamental part behind why cryptocurrencies are jumping around. And it's one of the things that people talk about is like, well, it's not actually backed by anything. It goes and makes crazy swings in price based on news speculation, but that is no different from the stock market, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, most NASDAQ, NYSE, LESE, whatever stocks will swing heavily one way or the other based on a single news article. Elon Musk recently tweeted about taking Tesla private and the stock climbed nearly 20%, even though nothing was confirmed. And of course, that caused a bunch of uproar and controversy. Yeah, I think he's in a lot of trouble right now, I think, yeah, as he, he seems to is. always be. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's it's more entertaining, uh, and other times it's more terrifying. But uh, <laughs> I think we're in the we're in the terrifying zone. But it's of course happening with very legitimate companies. Uh, Facebook stock dropped nineteen percent because they don't quite meet the expectation of Wall Street in terms of user growth, and that was across one hundred ninety nine billion dollars and market cap uh, value in a single day. Yeah, I think that was actually one of the biggest losses of all time. I think it may be the the largest single day loss in valuation of all time. And people are kind of going crazy about the likes of Bitcoin, Ethereum, losing huge amounts of their value. And and just to be clear, rightly so, that, that can be very scary, yeah. right? Like for yeah. a lot of people that in particular, we, we talked about this, off mic, Austin, but for a, a lot of people around like Thanksgiving of 2017, when everyone was kind of getting excited about cryptocurrency and they were jumping in and purchasing at what were pretty much all time highs. And now here we sit kind of three quarters of the way through 2018. And a lot of 
major cryptocurrencies have lost kind of as much as 70% in their value. So I, I can understand it. But to say that's just isolated to cryptocurrencies is, is just incorrect, right? Oh, absolutely. With that said, of course, cryptocurrencies are much more nascent and less regulated than stock exchanges. And uh, what it takes to list a cryptocurrency or, or perform an ICO is very different. The barrier of entry is much lower than what it would take to IPO and, and get your uh, company listed on a stock exchange. And that's something that we've talked about in, yeah. in previous episodes. So yeah, we do we do see huge swings. And of course, in the same way that cryptocurrencies are influenced by speculation and media and public companies are influenced by speculation and media, you can have people with intent to influence the price of a cryptocurrency or a stock purposefully seed misinformation or spin a, a, a media piece a certain way in their favor. And so we're, we're all familiar with pump and dump schemes. Mm -hmm. And I think that realistically, we see that type of behavior manifest itself at different levels. And of course, different amounts of legitimacy, sometimes more, more legitimate or unintentional than others in, in the crypto space. And so it's, it's also unsurprising in the same way that if a negative news piece could be seeded about a stock, it could cause that stock to go crazy. The same thing will, will happen with cryptocurrencies. Yeah, and I think that's a good point that brings us back into one of the things we talked about at the start of the episode, right? It was around regulation and protecting consumers. I think one of the things that a lot of people have criticisms around cryptocurrencies for is the lack of general regulation that's in place, in particular around companies doing ICOs. You look at, for example, EOS. They raised, I think it was $4 billion, $4 billion US dollars in an ICO. And an ICO is just a self-regulated fundraising mechanism ultimately, right? And we talked about Elon Musk just then sharing out a tweet about how he may take Tesla private. There's That's ultimately coming in complete conflict with the regulations in place with him having insider information in his company that could be used when shared publicly to manipulate stock price, right? And, and he's now going to face repercussions for that. The same thing isn't necessarily being done in the blockchain space. And I think that's where people are quite worried. I think we said in, I'm trying to remember the exact stat, I think this was in our last episode, we said that of all the major cryptocurrencies, let's say like the top 100 by market cap, is something like 80% of them don't actually have a live product right now. <laughs> right. That's, yeah, that's scary. That's where I think people get pretty scared. But, one thing that is interesting, this is something that I was digging into a lot, especially near the start of this year, is kind of the the birth of virtual currencies in general. And I say virtual currencies versus cryptocurrencies. Uh, the main differentiation being a cryptocurrency is a cryptographically signed currency uh, that lives on a blockchain or a form of distributed ledger technology. And, and, and I'm using a virtual currency as a broad, all-encompassing term. And the reason I say that is, this isn't the first time that cryptocurrencies have been rolled out. And one of my favorite examples here is with Second Life, 
the virtual chat room. Are you familiar, Austin, with with Second Life much? Oh yeah, yeah. Quite an interesting experiment, if you want to call it that. <laughs> Were you a resident uh, yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I I thought about it, but uh, the amount of time investment that, that it would take <laughs> to make it anywhere in that that virtual world yeah. would have been uh, quite substantial. But <laughs> well, well, here's what's interesting about Second Life, right? And if you, for, for anyone listening, if you, if you haven't heard of Second Life, aren't familiar, and you just want a giant black hole to go down, go just start reading about the history of Second Life. It, it was kind of a, a virtual chat room. It kind of is a mixture between, if you're familiar with the, uh, the video game, The Sims, and like uh, a, and a social network. So you would have your own virtual avatar and it launched in 2003. The interesting thing with that, the community had its own virtual currency. This wasn't a cryptocurrency, but it was called the Linden dollar. And you could exchange US dollar for Linden dollars, which you could spend on the platform. The, the way I kind of compare this is kind of if you're using a mobile app like I don't know, like buying virtual goods on Clash of Clans or Candy Crush or Angry Birds or whatever, right? Like you are using and buying a virtual token of some sort, kind of how we've talked about CryptoKitties in the past. Now, you could actually go and buy virtual goods. Uh, so you could create your own apartment on Second Life and you would use Linden Dollars, which ultimately you had to purchase with US dollars, you could get a virtual job. I shit you not. You could get a virtual job. And one of my favorite facts about this was actually one Second Life user, a woman named Anshi Chung, actually became the first ever millionaire, as in in US dollar millionaire, from selling virtual goods on the Second Life platform. Unreal. <laughs> that is it's crazy you should read up for anyone listening about this because it's honestly a super interesting story and the linda dollar still exists right <laughs> yeah it's valued at around 252 linden dollars to one usd right now which means that throughout the the existence of this currency that impacted the the value that Second Life held. So yeah. in 2006, Second Life actually had a GDP of 64 million US dollars. And then in 2009, that grew to, I believe, 567 million US dollars. That's 25% of the entire virtual goods market in the US. This was an absolute phenomenon. It's, it's insane. And people were really genuinely making a lot of money. I mean, Second Life still exists right now yeah uh, definitely in a very different form but i remember around the time of its peak around 2008 2009 and brands were going crazy for it you had adidas i think reebok were in there mtv had like actually paid to build their own second life stores so i, re I remember the adidas one from a video and it was like you can go and check this out on youtube we'll, we'll share some links to this and you could go into this virtual store and you could see their different range of clothing and footwear you could buy stuff directly in there and these brands invested a fair amount into the second life platform which ultimately failed and 
also guessed what their centralized virtual currency with very little security was hacked at one point multiple times (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah what we're not saying is that the linden dollar is the next big investment of 2018 uh but (laughs) it's certainly interesting to to research and we're starting to see new platforms come up. I think we've talked a bit, Austin, about Decentraland before, which seems to be kind of combining what Second Life actually pioneered, in all fairness, with mm-hmm. better technology and also virtual reality and cryptocurrency for some greater security there. Yeah, it's going to be so interesting to see this space evolve over the next couple of years. I know that we're excited about the next iteration of each of these experiments as the tech matures and as we learn more about what works and what doesn't work. We're, we're certainly sitting along the sidelines rooting for these pioneers. Absolutely. And on that note, I think we'll, we'll bring this all to a wrap, but hopefully you've enjoyed the, the slightly new format. Again, we would love to have any of your feedback on questions you'd love for myself and Austin to dig into, guests you'd love to hear on the show. And I just want to call back out again to any of our Venezuelan listeners. And if there's anyone from China listening into the podcast, we'd also love to hear from you in terms of how you're finding things within the rise of cryptocurrency in your country. But until next time, we'll see you. And thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show your appreciation to myself and Matt, make sure you subscribe and leave us a review on the CastBox app or your favorite podcasting platform. We'd really appreciate that. And if you haven't already, you can download the free CastBox app where you'll find us as one of the CastBox original shows. You can also visit thecoinoffering.com to learn more about cryptocurrencies, get caught up on some news, see how your currency is performing, and you can follow us on Twitter at the coin offering. Finally, you can ask us any questions you have by emailing us at podcast at thecoinoffering.com. The Decrypting Crypto Podcast is a Castbox original show, and its contents should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.